Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophia's off tonight. Well, after a brief lull, forecasters are warning the wildfire situation across much of BC is set to explode in the coming days. As Aaron MacArthur reports, a weather system forecast to arrive Thursday is expected to bring lightning strikes and strong winds across a wide area of tinder dry forests and grasslands. It doesn't take much. Monday evening, a grass fire erupted on the side of the highway near Merritt. It quickly spread to three hectares before crews could put it out. With temperatures expected to be well into the 30s Tuesday for much of BC, the potential for new fire ignitions is extremely high. Uh, those dry conditions really help drive uh, aggressive fire behavior. It's been a calmer week for wildfires in British Columbia. There have been just more than 1,800 fires started since April the 1st. 369 are burning currently, considerably fewer than last week. In the past 24 hours, about 10 new fires have been ignited, including the one near Merritt, likely all human caused. But those conditions are about to change. The heat spell will end with a dry, cold front moving in. The BC Wildfire Service is expecting challenging conditions through the weekend. This type of type of weather here on Thursday, where we're probably going to be taking a, a big stand back and uh, you know give these fires a big breath of safety because it's going to be that type of aggressive fire environment. Where the concern remains the highest are in the driest parts of the province, the Caribou, the Kootenays, and in the Okanagan. Conditions are primed for significant fire. An overnight blaze in Kamloops had crews' attention. A blown transformer led to a small fire in a group of trees downtown. While the fire was contained, it shows how dangerous the conditions are. In the Okanagan, the concern is twofold. The region experiencing an extremely dry summer. Currently, much of the region sitting at level four drought conditions. Current week is about the worst case situation with how low the, the flows are and how warm the temperatures are. While the heat wave will moderate later this week, the more dangerous conditions are still to come. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A lot of people will be relying on fans and air conditioners to keep cool during the heat wave, so you might be surprised to hear BC Hydro is going ahead with some planned power outages this week. Kristen Robinson has the story. As temperatures soar, BC Hydro crews continue to upgrade equipment with planned power outages affecting hundreds of customers across the Lower Mainland and Sunshine Coast, including the shutdown in Coquitlam Tuesday. They have to do from somewhere from 8 to 5 p.m. work on the lines or something like that, but not exactly that they're going to upgrade the next street. So if it was a little bit more information, it would be nicer. Maybe just pushing it back, especially if there is a heat wave. Harry O'Yang says he may have to spend Wednesday in his car 
His Burnaby neighborhood scheduled for a nine and a half hour planned power outage, shutting his central cooling system off during the heat wave. We all work from home and we all work on our computers. They obviously radiate a lot of heat because um, we all do like 3D programming and all kinds of stuff that's super taxing. So it'd be really convenient and uh, it's going to be hard to get through the day really. BC Hydro now says only emergency outages and those with no customer impact will go ahead to ensure British Columbians have access to the electricity they need to keep cool. We've cancelled the vast majority of planned outages for the coming days because of the heat. The only ones that will go forward at this time are for emergency work. We know that that would be a longer duration outage for our customers, so we are going to go to those ones and proactively make those fixes, but we're doing everything we can to limit these planned outages during this time. We're just wondering about the planned power outage. By Tuesday afternoon, these Burnaby residents learned the power will stay on. Their outage cancelled due to forecasted hot weather. Kristen Robinson, Global News. The heat is driving electricity use to an all-time high for the month of August. BC Hydro says demand Monday night peaked at more than 8,400 megawatts as British Columbians turned on their fans or turned up their air conditioners. The utility says during heat waves, there's often a 1,000 megawatt spike in demand, the equivalent of turning on a million portable AC units. Even though Monday night's demand set an August record, the highest demand on the grid happens in the winter, which nears 11,000 megawatts. Finding ways to stay cool is critical, but for the homeless, it's not always possible. Outreach teams are on the streets helping those without shelter cope with the heat wave. Janet Brown has more on their efforts and the need for donations of summer supplies. It is hard enough being homeless without the added challenge of trying to find a place to keep cool in this hot weather. At the Surrey Urban Missions Welcome Hub on the King George Boulevard in Wally, they're not only offering up meals, but a space with air conditioning. It's nice to come to a place like this where you're going to get services that you need and that's the small things like an air conditioner. I have a cold drink to drink. The mission says a lot has been learned since the heat dome in 2021. And they say air-conditioned spaces are saving lives. Tragic, but I think we did learn some, some important lessons around caring for the people that are, that are around us, the other residents in our city, whether they're housed or not. And the mission could really use some donations right now, including water, hats, sunscreen, and light clothing. This is our donation closet and this is where our guests get their clothing from so things like shorts um, we need a lot of shorts especially in this hot weather we don't have a lot and things like tank tops you want some water maybe put it in your bag or something at the union yeah. gospel mission yeah. on vancouver's downtown east side they have outreach workers helping the unhoused Seven times a day we have our outreach teams, groups of two to three outreach workers heading out with a cart like this um, where they've got water, they have hats, sunscreen, sunglasses, they have cool shirts to put on and then also they will have freezies in a cooler that they bring along as well. Back at the mission in Surrey, they're prepping for dinner and likely a much bigger crowd given the weather. You know, I find this kind of place when you're helping these type of people you go home with an internal smile, not just one on your face, but one on the heart as well. Donations for the mission can be dropped off in person anytime during the day or by sending a message by visiting their website. Janet Brown, Global News.
Okay, meteorologist Yvonne Shell is in for Christy tonight. She joins us with more on the heat and more records set today, Yvonne. Yeah, day three of the heat wave, and these are some of the numbers. Just a sample of some of the temperature records that fell through the day today. Lillooet, a spot 39.8. Kamloops getting up to 38.6. Port Alberni, 38.2. That's inland across the island. And Whistler getting up to 35.8. And also notice a lot of those old records set back in 2008 and 2010. Lit in the hot spot across the province and the country getting up to 42.1 and this is what we're anticipating try and find ways to stay cool because overnight tonight we're back into the mid and upper teens for many areas Kamloops Lytton for example just getting down to 20 degrees here's a snapshot once again we'll be back into the heat for tomorrow there is a bit of a reprieve that'll be on the way I'll have more on that in the timeline and we're also looking at the potential for very windy conditions worsening the fire conditions that also very shortly Chris okay we'll check in in just a little while thanks very much Yvonne Inflation might be cooling off slightly here in B.C., but nationwide it's on the rise. Last month, Canada's inflation rate jumped to 3.3%. That's higher than expected and up from 2.8% in June. As Richard Zussman reports, the cumulative effect of the sticker shock hits everyone. I can't afford the rent these days. Like, I'm just... It's a video hitting a chord with many. I'm just feeling so much despair. This personal testimony, just a small sample of what people in this country and province are feeling due to inflation and more potential bad news Tuesday. Canada-wide inflation up 3.3%, an increase from a 2.8% uptick in June, and BC increases less severe, up 3%, an improvement from a 3.5% increase last month. Inflation is not your cost of living, it's the rate of increase in your cost of living. Now all eyes on the Bank of Canada. On September 6th, they will announce what's happening with interest rates. That will have a profound impact on mortgages, especially people who are set to renew. We are still seeing people able to make do, but it is still a shock. You know, people don't like hearing that. It's a hard conversation to have. Inflation impacting beyond housing, the price of groceries up 8.5%, down from a 9.1% increase in June, and gas prices have gone down 12.9%, but nowhere near as significant as the 21.6% decrease in June. Yeah, it's getting tough, sure. For everybody, I think. I think it's challenging for everybody, and I don't even think we've gotten to how bad it can get. Canada retail giant Canadian Tire releasing data recently showing people are cutting back. Essential spending from auto parts to pet care up 6%, while non-essential purchases down 3%. The B.C. government says the Bank of Canada's own data shows rate hikes are part of the problem. Rising interest rates are really hurting families. It's having a huge impact in our communities and it's impacting the new housing that we want to get built. Uh, and so uh, I'm certainly uh, nervous about what they do in their next steps. A nervousness not just felt by one politician, but nearly an entire province. Richard Osman, Global News, Victoria. Inflation feels very real to anyone looking to rent a place in Vancouver. The city has just set a record with rental costs higher than anywhere else in Canada. According to a new report, the average one-bedroom apartment will cost you $3,000 a month. Krista Dow reports. They just leave such bags and their food containers sitting over here for like multiple days. Pranav Chaudhry rents a room for $900 in the shared Burnaby home with 9 to 11 roommates 
depending on the month. We filled up the garbage can and this is still remaining. So this just sits and rots for months and months. Concerned for his health, Chaudhary desperate to move out of these unsanitary living conditions. It was almost 150 bags rotting for over a year, worms all over the place. But so, finding yeah. a rental in this market has been nearly impossible. I've viewed upwards of 20 places by now and it's already rented or we have like 100 applicants. If you want to be on the list, you can. According to rentals.ca, Vancouver tops the country for highest rental prices. A one bedroom averaging around $3,000. Burnaby, not far off with 2,500. Want a two-bedroom in Vancouver? That's about four grand. Next door rent is almost half in Calgary and a third in Saskatoon. If they had to go back into the market and find something new, there's nothing really that they can afford. Tenant advocate Robert Patterson says the high rental prices assigned the approach to housing is broken. We're really just taking mostly the same approach to the problem. We're sort of just trying to build for-profit housing and expect it to be affordable. That isn't the solution. The answer, he says, lies with the government and not the free market. They need to participate in the creation of co-op and non-market housing to make sure it's a housing that is stable and affordable for the long term. The high rent prices coming at a time of record migration to the province. BC's housing minister says they're working to streamline housing starts. That's the work we're doing with local governments right now is urging them to change their processes. In fact, bringing in legislation this fall, which will help us get housing built faster. Until then, renters like Chaudhary almost given up and he's now considering living in an RV. I know I can keep my RV clean. I'm too desperate to move out because of the situation. Krista Dow, Global News. The high cost of housing is a big political issue, and today federal Conservative Party leader Pierre Polyev shared his plan to tackle housing affordability in Canada. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on Polyev's path to building more homes. Keith? Yeah, last night I showed people, our viewers, the latest in a series of polls that show the Conservatives have started to widen their lead over the Liberals. But what's a drag on their fortunes is Pierre Polyev. His image problems are, seems to be deeply entrenched. His approval rating lags his party, but he's in the middle of an image makeover. He's been criticized about tackling fringe, so-called fringe issues, such as the World Economic Forum. But today he got down to the issue that's facing probably the number one issue, issue facing a lot of Canadians, particularly in urban and suburban areas, and that's housing. Again, outlining that he wants municipalities to do more to build housing, and he's prepared to offer a carrot and a big stick approach. We cannot afford to give more money to the same municipal gatekeepers who block housing construction. And that's why my common sense plan is to require cities permit 15% more home building per year, or I will, I will pull back their federal grants. Those that beat the 15% target will get a building bonus. I'll require every federally funded transit station have high-density apartments around and even on top. I'll sell off 6,000 federal buildings and thousands of acres of federal lands to build, build, build. So again, his approach is not terribly different than what the NDP is proposing here in BC, and that's really going after municipalities. So even though you've got a conservative leader here, you've also got an NDP premier almost speaking the same type of language, albeit not with the same type of action, but both politicians want to employ a carrot and stick approach, and we'll see if Polyev's message resonates better with the voters than what he's been doing up until now. We will see. Okay, Keith, thanks very much for that. Residents put up a fight when they find out one of their neighbors is being evicted. 
why the landlord says he has to go and why his friends say it's not fair. Next on the News Hour. How old do you think this clock is? The creator behind Gastown's famous steam clock and where he found his inspiration for it coming up later on the News Hour. Plus, hold tight, please. <laughs> 75 years of the trolley bus and the limited edition collectible to commemorate it coming up as well. Right now, though, a Vancouver man says he doesn't know where he'll be able to afford to live if he loses his eviction fight. Today, residents of his apartment building rallied in support, saying he's being treated unfairly. Grace Key has the latest on the dispute and why the tenant is being told to leave. They don't want to see their Mount Pleasant neighbor evicted at the end of the month to make room for a live-in caretaker. Joined by the Vancouver Tenants Union, they went to the landlord's office with their concerns. I have a happy life on a fixed income in my current space. The alternative is poverty and homelessness. Shame! Keir Nickel got his eviction notice almost four months ago. He's lived in the building for 16 years, pays $800 a month for his one-bedroom unit, and is on disability. He says he was offered money to move out, but turned it down. They offered me about $20,000, and uh, on the surface it seems appealing that you would want to take money from people if they were offering, but the reality of the situation is, is that... Uh, <clears throat> that money would be gone in, in a year in rent, and then I'd be stuck with being homeless again. The group says the 12-unit apartment on Glen Drive has no need for a living caretaker, that there are two empty suites and two others have been posted on Airbnb. Well, I think that there is no justifiable reason you'd move a caretaker into a 12-unit building, and there's also no justifiable reason that you would move a caretaker into a building and kick out the tenant that's paying the least if you didn't want to jack up the rents. There's two empty suites they could use instead. There's two suites they have on Airbnb they could easily take off Airbnb. So the excuse that they're moving in a caretaker, I think, is just complete nonsense. Records show the apartment is owned by Glen Drive Apartment Limited. The sole director is listed as Stanley D. He is also the founder of Decor Properties. The office was not open when residents arrived and no one responded to our requests for comment. Uh, there's a total crisis in Vancouver. I don't know. Like, I'd probably have to put my stuff in storage and stay with friends. Like, and I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a burden on other people. My autonomy is going to be limited by that happening. Keir has a hearing with the Residential Tenancy Branch on Thursday. What happens if the eviction goes through? Are we going to fight for Keir? Yeah! Grace Key, Global News. Coming up, new developments in a shocking fatal crash. A car slammed into a wedding party in the front yard of a West Vancouver home. And tonight, charges against the next-door neighbour. Plus, Victoria's janky June contest exposes the capital city's worst sidewalk. Hi, everyone. It's still quite busy this afternoon. It starts right after the Cassier Tunnel through to Gillardy, then steady towards the Port Mountain Bridge Deck and through Surrey and Langley. But volume is easing off on all the other major routes as well. Kermack Collision and Autoglass's newest location is in Vancouver on Southwest Marine Drive, conveniently located between Camby and Oak. Kermack, the most trusted name in collision repair for 50 years. In the Global Traffic Center, I'm Amber Belzer. All your local news, all your breaking news, all the news you need. Get it at 6, Global News Hour at 6.
Charges have now been laid in a deadly crash in West Vancouver last summer. Back on August 20th, 2022, two women in their 60s were killed and nine other people hurt. A Range Rover SUV plowed into the group on the front lawn as they attended a wedding at a home on Keith Road. Following a lengthy investigation, West Vancouver police say the next door neighbor, 64-year-old Hong Shu, was leaving her residence on the shared driveway when the accident happened. Shu has now been charged with driving a motor vehicle without due care and attention. She's scheduled to appear in court September 20th. An update now on the search for two people from Coquitlam reported missing last week. Coquitlam RCMP say they've located 57-year-old David Hall and the white Honda Ridgeline that were reported missing August 11th. Police also confirm a man was arrested yesterday in connection to the case. Details of the arrest are not being released unless charges are laid. Meanwhile, 44-year-old Stephanie Patterson is still missing. Patterson is a band council member of the Coquitlam First Nation. Police are providing updated surveillance photos from the day of her disappearance. Patterson was last seen leaving her home near Colony Farm Road and Lowheed Highway at about 6.30 p.m. on Friday, August 11th. Slim, oddly shaped, or even non-existent sidewalks can be a major safety hazard for pedestrians. And as Kylie Stanton reports, one advocacy group in Victoria is shining a light on the weird walking paths that locals often encounter. We're entering the, the skinniest part. With every step, there's another obstacle. The worst spot of all is where this, uh, this pole is. Chad Gauthier has gotten to know this stretch of pavement, walking it, or at least trying to, roughly once a week. I've just always noticed how terrible this sidewalk is. The width, or lack thereof, is one thing. My whole foot's probably longer than the sidewalk is. These vehicles, mere inches away, another. Gauthier knew he couldn't be the only one who struggled here, but there was only one way to find out. So Janky June started uh, two years ago. Enter the annual photo contest sponsored by the pedestrian advocacy group Walk On Victoria that looks to find the capital region's worst sidewalks. Janky stands for a very poor quality, and we did it as a way to bring attention to, um, you know, areas where there could be improvements made to infrastructure. I just knew I had to enter it because it was just, it was just so awful. In the end of the five finalists that included everything from a seemingly disappearing sidewalk to one that curves around a tree before turning into a staircase, Gauthier's was the jankiest of all. It is just brutal. The ultimate goal to get local governments to pay attention to where there is a need for improvement. And in this case, it appears to have worked. Certainly, I think it makes the case that uh, there are areas that are busy that uh, certainly require a, uh, an investment in, in walking and biking infrastructure in order to make sure people can get around safely. To be fair, there is an all-access path on the other side of the street, even signage warning the sidewalk will end. There's no bike lane. But Gauthier has no seen enough close calls. Ah, I almost fell. <laughs> he also flagged the sidewalk to the district to be considered as part of its first ever road safety action plan report set to come to council this fall. Oh yeah, I'm right on the edge here. And if changes actually do come from this, that will be the real prize. And I just really want to raise awareness before an accident happens. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Saanich.
TransLink is celebrating 75 years of trolley bus service in Vancouver today. Trolley buses powered by those dual overhead wires have dominated Vancouver's transportation network, replacing the old streetcar network back in the 1940s. Vancouver now has one of North America's largest networks of trolley buses to this day. To celebrate the milestone anniversary, TransLink is offering free rides on a historic Brill trolley tomorrow, as well as unveiling new mini limited edition trolley compass keychains that will be available to buy starting tomorrow. Whether it's our fully electric SkyTrain, our fully electric battery buses, or our electric trolley buses, over half of the passenger kilometers traveled on our system today are zero emission. TransLink says more than 100,000 zero emission transit trips are taken on trolley buses every weekday in the city. Coming up, overwhelming loss and support in Maui. It's a community that I love, and so it's, it's devastating. A Canadian who lost several businesses in the Lahaina wildfires rallies to help his employees. And you can call it the Yellowstone effect, what this luxury BC ranch just sold for, driven by interest in the hit TV show. From the stories that affect us all, to a look at what's happening right now around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. At the Patello Bridge, crews are dealing with a stall southbound mid-span as you make your way from New West into Surrey. So we're seeing delays start halfway along Queen's Park headed south. Watch out for construction at both ends of the bridge check that go on throughout the day, but also overnight as well. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $13 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. In the Global Traffic Centre, I'm Amber Belzer. It has been one week since fire decimated the town of Lahaina on the Hawaiian island of Maui. 99 people are confirmed dead and thousands more have had their lives upended. Nitu Garcha caught up with one Canadian in Maui who still feels lucky even though his businesses were wiped out. Nitu. Chris, access to Lahaina was briefly reopened, spurring a scramble for access through police checkpoints like this one behind me. Some residents have still been unable to get to their homes, which survived the fire. Authorities here say about 2,000 housing units have been secured for those who are displaced. Among them is a Canadian business owner originally from B.C. and his family. It's pretty hard to grasp. The pictures don't do it justice. Canadian business owner Don Prestige lost multiple businesses in Lahaina. His family, their home and vehicle survived and he says they're thankful. We're blessed. You know, my family's okay. Our, our house will eventually get back to it. It's, we're okay. But Prestige says several of his 140 employees are facing significant loss. I have an employee and she's only 21 and uh, she lost her cousin in the fire. And so she's 21 years old and she's really got to support five people and pay for a funeral. Against the backdrop of such loss, Prestige says there's been an overwhelming amount of support from fellow Canadians. I didn't even have to go further than one person from Calgary and he wired funds today to, to uh, support her. He says six of his buildings, including this coffee shop, were obliterated, along with two restaurants, a retail store and a boat shop. I think the wind was so high and the fire was so hot that it's, it just it left, it really left nothing. Prestige snapped these photos before the inferno forced him to flee. It's a community that I love 
and so it's it's devastating. Parts of Maui are in severe drought, not including these structures which burned down. Hawaiian Electric says power has been restored to a majority of affected customers. Hopefully once we understand more what the state and the county is going to do, we can build our plans around that to, you know, to have a future again one day. Hawaii's governor said the fires were a natural disaster and it's unlikely much more could have been done. But we've heard outrage here from locals. They say authorities failed to provide warnings, a clear evacuation plan and timely help from first responders. Chris. All right, Neetu, thank you very much for that report. Now, RCMP on Vancouver Island have begun once again enforcing an injunction against protesters in the Ferry Creek watershed. Protests against old growth logging have been happening for more than two years near Lake Cowichan, leading to a court injunction in 2021. Last year, the RCMP made its last mass arrest, but charges against 146 protesters were stayed after a judge found RCMP officers only read a shortened version of the full injunction. Protesters returned to the site earlier this month. Today, three people were arrested and released. In Health Matters tonight, children are vulnerable when it comes to serious heat-related illnesses and accidents. Doctors say parents and guardians should be able to recognize when kids are at risk. And Catherine Urquhart shows us what to look for. Every year, young children fall from windows. Some die. Others are left with serious injuries. Two-year-old Taryn Lim tumbled from a third-floor window in Langley last summer. This is a terrifying incident. You don't want to go through the same thing that what I've gone through. BC Children's Hospital says it has already seen 14 cases since the beginning of the season. The injuries that we do see at BC Children's include head injuries, uh, broken bones, things that may leave a lasting effect on children. So we have to prevent those. Parents are reminded to move furniture away from windows, which should be open a maximum of 10 centimeters. Install window guards. And remember, screens are easily pushed out. Also note, children have thin skin and are more susceptible to burns. So use sunscreen and be mindful of heat stroke and dehydration. Parents need to be aware of the signs. Those can be cracked lips, fever, headache and dizziness. And one thing that parents can do is monitor how much urine children have or what is the color of the urine, because that could be the first sign to make sure that they need to drink more. Many parents will try to beat the heat by taking their children to a pool or lake. Life jackets are a must and never leave a young child alone in a vehicle. Temperatures rise very quickly and can lead to tragic consequences. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Coming up, the creator of one of Vancouver's most iconic landmarks. Where Ray Saunders got his inspiration for the steam clock and what he's working on now. Plus, we'll have a chance to get it away and he completes it for a touchdown. In sports, roaring for Rourke, how the Lions reacted seeing their former teammate make a highlight real play in the NFL. All the latest news. All the latest updates. Get it first. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Get it at 11. Global News at 11. 
Owners of a ranch near Beaverdale, B.C. have cashed in on what some are calling the Yellowstone effect. The desire to own a ranch due to the popularity of the hit television show Yellowstone. Yellowstone, north of 49, is the definition of expensive taste. The ranch, just east of Penticton, sold for $15 million on Monday when it hit the auction block. Qualifying offers opened at $5.9 million and went up from there. The new owner's identity hasn't been revealed, but they are from B.C., and they will continue to run it as a fully operational cattle ranch. Good for them. All right, uh, let's check in again with Yvonne. Record-setting temperatures today, and that wind is going to cause problems later this week. Now yeah, we'll be watching it, especially for the interior, but temperatures day three of our heat wave. We've got another hot one along the south coast for tomorrow, and I'll talk about the reprieve coming up in just a moment. A quick glance at a few of the numbers right now. You factor in the Humidex. Look at Port Alberni, feeling like 40 degrees. Areas even closer to the water, the airport 29, and into the Fraser Valley for Abbotsford with the Humidex sitting at 36 degrees, so anticipate and plan ahead, especially as we get in through the day for tomorrow. Overnight lows will be into the upper teens for most areas in towards the interior. Not much of a reprieve. And this is what we'll be tracking very closely now. Along the water, away from the water for the south coast. By Thursday and leading in towards our Friday, that's we'll start to see temperatures moderating. It'll be more pleasant and comfortable. But for areas in towards the interior, tomorrow still another hot one. We're pushing closer to 40 degrees. And then we're hoping to see a bit of a break leading in towards the weekend as well. And then into early next week we'll be back into the mid-20s. A reminder, our fire danger rating is sitting at high to extreme, but this is the concern in a big weather story that we'll be following. The winds are going to pick up. We've got a frontal system that's moving in for the interior. Thursday afternoon and early evening, those winds will shift. They'll pick up right across the region with this frontal system. We anticipate that it is going to worsen the fire situation across that region, so we'll be watching that very closely, so stay tuned. Now along the north coast tomorrow, a bit of a blip with a chance for some showers. Most areas into the central and southern half of the province. We do have a smoky skies bulletin and we're impacted by that smoke with local smoke over the next 24 and potentially up to 48 hours. Also add the heat into the mix so we'll be watching that as well. Now Whistler up to 34 degrees. Hot, hot, hot. Another day of the heat wave for tomorrow. Port Alberni will be up to 35. We've got that range in temperatures away from the water low 30s but with the Humidex it's going to feel closer to 38 degrees and we'll be watching it very closely. Friday leading in towards the weekend it's going to be more pleasant with temperatures temperatures back into the low 20s. All right, tonight's weather window. This is a fun one. Some of the cubs playing in Kitimat by the water. Also, mom looks like she's grabbing some food there as well. And this is sent in from Kelly. <laughs> I bet she's tired with those three <laughs> chasing them around. All right, thanks very much, Yvonne. Good stuff. All right, Jay's in as Squire gets a little vacation. What do you got coming up, Jay? Well, Chris, just like the rest of us, the BC Lions are heating up, but we're not talking about the heat wave. Lions are now seven and two on the air after beating the Stampeders on the weekend team is, is gelling at the right time and uh, we just continue to keep on winning. I think we will. Vernon Adams Jr. and Lions in Regina on Sunday. Just ahead in sports, you'll hear their thoughts on Nathan Rourke's NFL debut from Saturday. Sounds great. Also coming up. Oh man, it's been neglected. The creator of the iconic steam clock in Gastown and how he's passing his time now.
one of the biggest golf fans you'll ever meet, and we're both excited about the Canadian LPGA, Women's Open. Yeah, Women's Open. That's Sean. Not next week, but the following week. Not, no, not this week. weekend. It's, ne it's, it's next, next weekend. weekend. Yeah, That's not right. this weekend coming up. Have yeah. we confused you? It's next weekend. <laughs> you, I'll just leave it to you. Let's talk football, my friend. <laughs> the uh, BC Lions return to the practice field following their mauling of the Stampeders on the weekend. BC's in Regina on Sunday. Lions are 7-2 on the season. Now, for those of you who weren't at the game on Sunday at BC Place, the Lions did a pretty cool thing involving the guy above my shoulder. Nathan Rourke made his NFL debut for Jacksonville, and in the fourth quarter of that football game, he threw a touchdown pass on third and 16 that is still being talked about today. It was a play that the Lions showed to everybody on the big screen, and it's a play that his former Lions teammates weren't surprised to see at all. It's already being dubbed as the best play of the NFL preseason. Stays on his feet somehow, will have a chance to get it away, and he completes it for a touchdown. But for people who know Nathan Rourke, it wasn't surprising to see what he did. Ben said it, uh, he is who he is. He's a playmaker, a great quarterback, great leader, um, and I'm just excited to see him excel on that level for sure. The Lions players got to see the highlight on the big screen during their game at BC Place on Saturday. That was crazy. I seen I was like, I had to see it again to make sure I was like, okay, that's, you know, I was saying that's something I taught him a little bit, you know, set your feet with the hips, but we ain't going to talk about it too much, you know. You see anyone make that sort of play, it's, it's amazing, but it's, uh, I mean, he just did so much for us last year, and he's just so committed to the game, and I've, I've never seen someone married to the game like Nate, and uh, I'm expecting to see a lot more from him. Uh, yeah, we texted a little bit, and he just said uh, he was trying to, bring out his inner VA a little bit, but, uh, you know, that was a strong throw. Him holding another dude up and, and making it. I, I never did nothing like that, so uh, props to Nate for sure. You know, the reaction of the players was exactly what I thought it would be. They're not jealous. They're not mad. They're excited for him, and Nathan's excited for us. Jaw-dropping plays aren't new to us in Canada, but his debut with the Jaguars seemed to catch a few by surprise. Toughness and poise in the pocket, being able to make a play like that and, and, and have a couple of guys on him to make that throw you know, for the touchdown is uh, I haven't seen too many, <laughs> haven't seen too many plays like that, you know, even even in a preseason game. 2022 CFL Most Outstanding Canadian. It's a real award and he won it last season. Aside from the big play, Rourke had a solid game. Through the air, he tossed for 153 yards and a touchdown. On the ground, he added 20 yards and a rushing TD. I'm, I'm glad people believe in him and give him a chance, and I, I won't ever bet against that guy. He's risen to every challenge he's faced so far, and hope he keeps getting playtime in the preseason. Former Seattle Seahawks and Baltimore Ravens running back Alex Collins is dead at the age of 28. He died in a violent motorcycle crash Sunday in Florida. The motorcycle he was riding in smashed into a sport utility vehicle. He was thrown off his bike, went through the window inside the was pronounced dead at the scene. He spent five years in the NFL. He most recently played this spring in the USFL. He had 98 rushing yards and one TD in three games with the Memphis Showboats. Cool, damp evening in Auckland, New Zealand. We were all sleeping. They were playing soccer, Spain and Sweden. Women playing in their fifth World Cup semifinal. Sweden had only conceded two goals in their five games leading up to today's semifinal match. In the 81st minute, Spain takes the lead. And the Spaniards were celebrating. But Sweden would respond seven minutes later off the throne. Rebecca Bloomquist volleys home the header that was headed her way. Sweden drawing even with two and a half minutes remaining. And it looked like we were destined for penalty kicks yet again. But wait, 
a minute later. Spain does the unthinkable. It comes off of a corner. Sweden just gets caught napping. They load up the box and forgot about Olga Carmona. She's all alone at the top of the box. Spain shocks Sweden 2-1. They're off to their first ever Women's World Cup final. They now await the winner of tomorrow's other semi, England, taking on Australia. Yeah, Chris, put your arms down. We are indeed watching the greatest soccer player in the world. I'll tell you, it looks like he's playing against U12 competition, doesn't he? His ninth goal in six matches. Miami beating Philadelphia in Philadelphia. 4-1 the final. They are off to the League's Cup final. They have not lost a match since Lionel Messi joined Inter-Miami. Just incredible to watch. It's amazing. And shows a huge gap between North American soccer and European soccer. I agree. All right, Jay Durant, the other Jay, spent some time with the man who created the iconic steam clock in Gastown. That's coming up next on the News Hour. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. Global BC Community Hub. Promote your event. Share your story. Build your community. Global BC Community Hub, bringing your worlds together. And Drua is standing by now, the preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Anne? Thanks, Chris. Earlier, we heard Canada's annual inflation rate jump to 3.3% in July. We'll tell you why some economists don't foresee a September rate hike. And Barbie is turning out to be one of the biggest films of the year and is having a profound impact on local theaters here in B.C. In Nelson, Barbie has boosted viewership at the theater, going from 16% to about 80%. But there's concern about what will happen next when the movie stops showing. We'll explain when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Chris? Interesting little Barbie phenomenon going on there in Nelson. Thanks very much, Ann. Well, it's one of the most visited tourist attractions in Vancouver. The Gastown Steam Clock, with its quarter-hour whistling and shooting steam, seems like something from a different era. But it isn't. The man behind the iconic clock, Ray Saunders, is alive and still creating timepieces today. Jay Durant caught up with him on This Is BC. My favorite little clock. Now late into his career, Ray Saunders is finally starting to downsize incorporating all kinds of comical figures into his latest creations. Right now I'm, I'm trying to hunt for construction workers. I gotta start making some more of those. So I've been collecting for the last 10 years. Designing and building for the past 63 years. It's his steam clock in Gastown that's made him Vancouver's most famous horologist. A bit of a grandfather clock and Big Ben in London. That's where I got my inspiration. It's been neglected. Often showing up and surprising tourists by revealing that it only went up in 1977. How old do you think this clock is? Oh, it's about 100 years old. It was built when Gastown was built. And I go, I think the guy that built it is still alive. And they said, no, no, he's been dead for years. It was the first of seven public steam clocks Saunders built. His work is also a popular draw in other parts of the world. That's the Otaro steam clock. That's in front of the world's largest music box museum. 
He sticks to the stairs now when called in to consult on some of the city's clocks. And you have to move this crank around, so change the hands. An on-site fall off a ladder four years ago left him with numerous injuries. A fractured skull had 15 stitches. They thought I was dead, but I came back to life. His working days are winding down now, although he still makes occasional house calls to fix a grandfather clock. I didn't charge anything for it, but every month they give me a bottle of scotch. So. But it's a return to those early, much smaller designs that will now be taking up most of his time. I've got a few orders for them already. Now that I've got a little recognition, I can maybe ask a bit more money for them when I build them. Jay Durant, Global News. Way to go, Ray. Takes a licking, keeps on ticking after that fall. Well done. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC you want to share with the rest of us, just email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Love to see those stories and need more of them. All right, Yvonne. Chris, I was waiting for this, the Timex, yeah. the 70s commercial. Oh, I know. I remember that, too. Remember those? They used to do everything to those watches. <laughs> Tie them to yes. boat motors and everything. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, we'll be keeping an eye on uh, the timing of this next weather change coming for sure, Yvonne. Yeah, we're still into the heat wave for tomorrow. Those temperatures will be soaring away from the water factor. The humidex, it's going to feel like 38 degrees, but we're watching very closely. And for those who are looking for the reprieve, it'll be gradual for Friday and so far leading in towards our weekend. That's where we anticipate to see a bit of a change, even for our overnight lows as well. Uh, but still We'll try and find ways to stay cool. We've got another hot day ahead. No doubt. Check on your neighbors and any seniors that you care about. Thanks very much for watching, everybody. We'll see you back here again tomorrow.